I saw a video. It's already uploaded. It's got a million views. YouTube is going off. Okay. Um, I, it's so fun to be up here. Are you guys doing good? You guys awake? Okay. Okay. So I was talking with a couple people. Um, I was talking with DLC, Jose, Aaron, Noah. I was talking with S-Rod. Apparently he's better than me at surfing. Is that true? I don't know. Let's uh, come meet me in Encinitas and we'll go surfing. That sound good? All right. We got the whole Lorax crew. Where are you guys at? You guys said you would cheer. Okay, I'm not even going to keep going. Uh, but I did hear it's Noel's birthday. Where's Noel? Where are you at? Yes. Happy birthday. I heard 17. Crazy. You're older than me. You guys think that's true? I guess you'll never know. All right. I, you know, if your parents say that you can get married at a young age, I got married at the age of 16. Um, all right. So I just got a text from my wife. These are like great texts. When you get a, a text from your wife and I'm like, hey, how you doing? Camp's been really great. The students are awesome. Things are going really well. The messages are like, you know, Ecclesiastes, it's heavy, right? It's been pretty heavy, right? All right, don't worry. I'm going to lift this up a little bit, right? So we're texting and she's like, babe, Callum is watching Cars for the very first time. You guys remember the first time you saw Cars? And I'm like, like part of me is, part of me is like, I'm so proud. And another part of me is like, I'm missing it. I'm missing him watching Cars for the first time. She said he's loving it. He's loving it. So, but it's funny because he, like I said, he is just all dude. He is just chaos. And so we were like, okay, Christmas time. This is going to be an easy win. We're going to bring him to Christmas lights. He's going to be stoked. He's going to see all the lights. He's going to be pumped on it. So we brought him to Christmas lights. We went to this best place called Candy Cane Lane. We showed up to Candy Cane Lane. And, uh, and, and we are walking around with him. And I kid you not, he is spending the entire time looking at the straps on his shoes. I was like, Callum. They're Christmas lights, buddy. Callum, we brought you all the way over here to look at Christmas lights. And he's just like, oh, just like an animal playing with his shoes. And eventually he finally looked up and he saw the Christmas lights. And then he did like this super cute thing where he's like, oh, and just got caught up in the Christmas lights for the rest of the time. But there's this thing that we do that honestly, we all kind of live like that, where we can live our life with our head down. We can live our life looking down at all these other things. We can be distracted with the here and the now, with the life under the sun, with what's going on in the day in and the day out, with your friend group or that friend group. What's the homework we have to do? What's going on with your parents? Are you grounded again? And we live in that cycle. We can get so bogged down with our heads down that we don't lift our heads to see that there is a greater reality. There is a beautiful thing. There is a wonderful and powerful God, and he has meaning and purpose. And so this morning, I left you guys with a heavy revy, just a heavy one. We talked about sin, and we talked about the reality that a scripture talks about, but honestly, we, we all know, we all experience, we all do in our own life that even though we want to do good, the sin inside of us sabotages the good that we want to do. So I left you with that message, but the beautiful thing tonight is this, this passage actually lifts our head a little bit to look at the Christmas lights, so to speak. So do you guys have your Bibles? Can you throw them up in the air? All right. Ecclesiastes chapter trace. Ecclesiastes chapter three. Turn there to big number three, little number nine. Big number three, little number nine. And when you get there, you know how to do it. Shaka and shoo. All right. I love it. 
I love it. All right. Solomon, richest man, craziest man, best looking man, wealthiest man ever to live, writes this. Verse 9. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the busyness that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. He has made everything beautiful in its time, which means that if you look around and it's not good yet, God's not done yet. When you look around, you see something's not good. God is not done. You have not given God enough time because here's the reality. Here's the good news of the Bible. It's from the very beginning of the pages, from Genesis all the way to Revelation. All of the pages in between is this big story, this grand story that talks about how Jesus is going to make everything new. Jesus is making all of the crumminess, all of the chaos, all of the sin, all the brokenness, and he's making it beautiful, and he's making it new. This is good news. How incredible is it that we get to look at our broken situations and we get to see that there's a powerful God who loves us and he's faithful and he's making everything beautiful. You can give him your manure, which you know is just a bunch of poop. You can give him all of the manure of your life and he's going to plant that and he's going to make it a garden. And I know this for a fact because the worst thing that ever happened in human history was when we killed Jesus. The worst thing that we could have ever done in human history is say, you're God, die. And yet the worst day in human history. And like again, like I talked about Solomon, he's a real person in a real place in a real time. Historical fact, Google it. Jesus too. If you're an atheist or not, Jesus too was a real person in a real place in a real time. He really walked he really had followers. He really died on a cross. That is a historical fact. And they even say that his grave was empty three days later. The worst day in human history when we crucified Jesus, God turned it into the greatest victory. God can turn the brokenness, the pain, the chaos of your life and my life, and he can turn it into something beautiful. You guys, any, anyone feel like you have some broken stories? Anyone feel like you have something that you're like, man, this is just far beyond what I could actually ever imagine that becoming good. I can't even imagine God redeeming that. Can I tell you a little bit about my story real quick? Like I said, I was a, I was a menace. I was chaotic. And that was crazy. I mean, I climbed trees. I went off jumps. I, I did all those things. I hit my teacher in the face with a water balloon. Right? I did all of these things that were wild, but I also just didn't follow Jesus. I didn't live my life following Jesus. I went to parties to find meaning. I dated girls to find meaning. I tried popularity to find meaning. I pursued athletics in order to find meaning. I mean, all of it. And then, in this part of my story, unfortunately, I know that statistically 50 to 60% of this room can resonate with this. When I was a junior in high school, my parents got a divorce. And then right after that, my dad uh, moved to another country, and he was gone for four years. And so I didn't see my dad. While I was in this time of my life, and I was trying to figure out, who am I? I was trying to figure out, who's Stevie? What is he good at? What's his contribution to the world? 
I was trying to figure out what am I going to do for the rest of my life. I got to figure out what college I'm going to go to, what I want to study. I got to figure out what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be an adult? What does it mean to, to lead? What does it mean to walk in this world as a functioning human being? And he wasn't there for that. I didn't have the guidance, and so I searched. I looked everywhere. I was trying to find what meaning and purpose was. And, and here's the thing about the brokenness outside of me, right? The brokenness of my parents' marriage. That was also the brokenness that I was starting to experience in all the other areas of my family and my friendships. Is that brokenness outside actually just revealed to me that there was a brokenness inside. The brokenness that was around me, and maybe you've experienced this too. The brokenness that you've been seeing all around your life all of a sudden is highlighting the fact that there's actually something deeply inside of you that feels broken. And it was because of that moment of me feeling broken and realizing that I needed help, that nothing was satisfying. It was because of that moment I decided to start going back to church. And when I went back to church, I started hearing about Jesus, started hearing about how he gives meaning. And I started realizing I was chasing all these other things, and these other things weren't doing it for me. And so I decided to step into relationship with Jesus, and my life hasn't been the same ever since. I'm standing up here on this stage talking to you because my parents got a divorce, a broken situation that God redeemed and turned beautiful. Now, that wasn't a good thing. I don't look back and say, man, I'm really grateful that happened. But I look back and I'm like, God is so good. God can do incredible things. If it's not good yet, God's not done yet. Amen? Verse 11. He says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. How many of you guys have ever had all-you-can-eat sushi? Oh, it's, it's my favorite. What about any, like just any buffet? Any like soup plantation? Do they still have soup plantations? Rip. My bad, my bad, my bad. All right, so all-you-can-eat sushi, though. I love all-you-can-eat sushi. And, uh, and when you go into all-you-can-eat sushi, you walk through those doors, and you're not there to eat. You're there to win. You're there to put them out of business. It is war. You're going in there, and you're like, I'm about to shut down this establishment. They're going to be so sad. They let me in here. And so you're like, I'm going to order all of these rolls. I'm, I'm getting more than my money's worth. i got to make sure I'm getting a deal. And inevitably at the very end, you bust out your calculator. You start doing the math, and you're like, I ate $250 worth of sushi, and I paid $25. And you feel like a winner. Except when you walk out, you don't feel like a winner, do you? If winning feels like a waddle, you're just like, you never feel good walking out of all-you-can-eat sushi. And, and, and so this happened to me the other uh, while ago. Trisha and I, we went for her birthday, and uh, we had all-you-can-eat sushi, and I was like, dude, we got we to gotta throw down. It's your birthday, all-you-can-eat sushi, we're paying, it's top dollar, we got we to gotta make sure we get our money's worth. And so then we're driving home, and I was like, you have to drive, because I literally can't. I don't even know how I made it out the door. I, I think that I can taste rice. Like it's still kind of right here. And so we were driving home and, and she kind of hit a bump. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I hit one of those, <clears throat> you, know, you know those moments? And then I, was, I was like, okay, no, I got it. I can hold this in. I can hold this in. Um, except for it was still 20 minutes until we got home. And so we're driving, and I was like, oh, I, got, I got this, I got this. I leaned, I leaned the seat back, and that, that didn't work because it went, hmm, hmm. 
and you're breathing heavy, your mouth is salivating, you know it's not going to be good. And I was like, you got to pull over right, pull over right now, babe. And it's just getting really, really chaotic. We pull over, I open the door, and before I could even get the door fully opened, and it wasn't even just one of those, it was one of those that was followed up with a simultaneous, so it was one of the, and you know, you know what I'm talking about. You've all been there. We've all been there. How many of you guys are dying that I'm doing gagging sounds right now? And, uh, and it just, everything came out. So even though we paid $250 worth of, or we, we ate $250 worth of sushi, I lost all of it. It was just gone. And it went through my nose. <laughs> and so I had, I had like, I had rice, I had seaweed, I had salmon in my nose for a week. It was disgusting. And so you're always like, after those moments... After those moments, you're always like, uh, we're never, we're never going back. We're never going back to all-you-can-eat sushi. But ask me right now if you want to get sushi. Let's go. I would eat sushi right now. Okay, here's why I tell you the story. Aside from the fact I just love doing that, the gagging sound, it's great. No matter how much, listen, no matter how much we fill ourselves. Uh-oh. All right. Hey, bring it back. Bring it back. Bring it back. Bring it back. All right. Guys, look up here. Look up here. Look up here. All right. Here's the point. Even with all you can eat sushi, no matter how full you get, no matter how much you eat, no matter how much you stuff into yourself, no matter how much you pursue things, no matter how much meaning and purpose you're trying to strive for, just like all you can eat sushi, you can get stuffed all the way to the brim, but the reality is, is the next day you're going to be hungry again. And I found myself hungry again. C.S. Lewis, you guys know C.S. Lewis? He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. This is a quote that he says. He says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Let me just decode that. Here's what he's saying. We have thirst. And the fact that we have thirst proves the existence of water. There is a thing that is meant to quench that thirst. We get hungry. And hunger proves the existence of food that satisfies that hunger. We get lonely which proves the existence of other people, that we were made to be in relationships with other people. But if there is a desire, which you and I all recognize, there is a desire in each and every one of us. We heard it by Solomon. We heard it by Brad Pitt. We heard it by Tom Brady. We heard them all say it, and I've experienced it. And my hunch is that you have too. There is a part of us. There is a desire inside all of us that nothing in this world has been able to satisfy. And what C.S. Lewis is saying exactly. If you have a desire, unlike thirst, unlike hunger, something that nothing in this world can satisfy, it's because you weren't made for this world. You were made for eternity. Solomon said, God set eternity in our hearts. We were made for eternity. 
Here's another story about food. This is a story that actually includes Jesus. Jesus is talking um, with his disciples and a few other people, a few friends, and he's talking about what doesn't satisfy and what does satisfy. And so he talks about what truly gives us meaning and purpose. It's a story of the feeding of the 5,000. If you guys have your Bibles, you want to turn to John chapter 6. You guys can turn there really fast. John chapter 6. But here's a little bit of background. Jesus and his disciples just went through some crazy ministry. I mean, they were going around. They were talking to everybody. They're praying for people. They're doing incredible ministry, and they're exhausted. Just like how you guys are going to be when you get back down the mountain. You guys are going to go to sleep for like three days. Except for you have school on Monday, so you're not doing that, right? Spoiler alert. This is your best time right now because you're going back to school. So Jesus and his buddies, they're all trying to escape the crowds. They're trying to get away so that they can have rest. And you can imagine that they finally sit down on a rock. And as they sit down on a rock, they look up and thousands of people have followed them. Thousands of people are like, I just imagine like scurrying around the lake just to find them. And it says Jesus had compassion on them. I love that about Jesus. Jesus, even when he's tired and he's exhausted from doing hard work, he looks at people and he has compassion. He had compassion on them. I would have been annoyed. And yet he, they found someone who had five small fish and two small loaves, and they end up providing a miracle that fed everybody. 5,000 people. It's an absolute miracle, total insanity. And then this is what Jesus says in verse 15, John chapter 6, verse 15, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Now, have you ever asked, how can you make someone king by force? You ever wondered that? Like Jesus was like, oh, they're going to try to make me king by force. Now, I was in high school and uh, I remember prom. And I remember like girls in prom and they're like, vote for me, vote for Susie for prom queen. I remember these were like future ad agency workers, right? They had TikToks and dances, and they're like, vote for Susie, you know, and they're doing everything. Like, they were just striving to be voted for because they so badly wanted to be king and queen of high school prom. They're just fighting to be in that position. You watch any of the Netflix originals, and all of them are about kings who are trying to take a kingdom by force and by power. Let me show you another picture of someone who's a king. Can we throw up that picture? Oh, yeah. You guys recognize that young buck? That's yours truly. Yes, king. I have no idea who the girl is, dude. I could not tell you. I could not tell you what her name was. Can I just highlight? Can I just highlight? We left so much room for Jesus. Like, there is just this is awkward picture, and we're like, there's just room here. We're just not even going to be very close to each other. So this was sixth grade. I was the Duke of the Winter Ball Dance. Yeah, that was a big deal. Uh, that, was, that was the highlight, highlight of my life. Not really. But this is, this is something that everyone would strive for when I was in middle school. Like this was the biggest deal. Let's be the Duke of the Winter Ball Dance. I wanted to be so cool. We could please take that down now. We're good. <laughs> Thank you so much. So my question is, how do you force someone to be king? Can't you just say no? Someone just say, hey, be king. No. Can't you just do that? 
So Jesus retreats. He runs away from it. Now, here's the thing. Every one of us, if we had the crowds cheering our name, if we had the crowds chasing after us and saying, I want you to be famous. I want you to rule us. I want you to be our king. I want you to be our queen. They're trying to give you everything in this world. They're trying to make you popular and rich and wealthy. They're trying to do everything they can. They're trying to give you everything that the world would tell you to strive under the sun. We would all say, heck yeah, baby, bring it on. I want all the cars. I want all of the money. I want to rule a kingdom. Then I can do whatever I want. I can eat whatever I want. I can stay up as late as I want. But notice Jesus. Jesus decides not to repeat King Solomon's experiment. He decides to not live under the sun. Rather, he didn't get his meaning and his value and his purpose from the crowds or from popularity or from power. He got away with God. Because Jesus knew God was the only one in his life that he could worship and the only one who would give him meaning and purpose. Where we fail, Jesus succeeds. And now I'm re- as I'm reading this story about Jesus and, and he's, he escaped away from being king, I think this is really cool. Like I'm like, man, how rad is it that Jesus decided to not pursue fame and power? But then I started realizing that this was actually a foreshadow. See, the reality is, is they eventually would make Jesus king by force. I realized that they succeeded in forcing Jesus to be king because this story in John 6 is one week before the Passover. One week before Jesus would ride on a donkey into Jerusalem in something called a triumphal entry. It's what a king would do as they enter into a kingdom. He would ride on this donkey. And then what would happen in that week is they would throw a purple robe on his shoulder. And they would force a crown of thorns on his head, nailing it to his head. They'd raise him high and lift it up on a cross as his throne for everybody to see. And they would put a sign over his head that says in John 19, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. They mocked him. They treated him like a king, ultimately to kill him. And he hung on a cross. He died the death that he did not deserve. Actually, he intentionally died the death that you and I deserve. If you remember Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. And so Jesus says, I'm going to take it. And so Jesus let them make him king by force. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, for our sake, for your sake and for my sake, God made Jesus to be sin. Meaning God treated Jesus like sin, the just punishment of sin being death. And it says, even though Jesus knew no sin, he never sinned his entire life, so that in Jesus, we, you and I, might become the righteousness of God. Did you catch that? Jesus didn't just get treated as our sins deserve, even though he didn't deserve it. It was so that we can be free from the consequences of sin. You and I no longer have to be separated from God. And he didn't just bring us back to neutral, right? He didn't just wipe us clean. He didn't just make it so that we're clean right now, but inevitably we're going to get dirty again and again. It says he did all of this so that we can be the righteousness of God. Jesus traded places with you and me. He traded places with us. It says he took what we deserved. He took our death. He went up on that cross, but then he gives us what he deserves. 
which is life. When God looks at you and me, right? This morning we talked about sin and how sin deserves death, how we have all sinned. But in Jesus, because of Jesus, when God looks at you and me, if we follow Jesus and accept his free gift, God doesn't see you as sinner. God doesn't see you as broken. God doesn't see you as lost. God doesn't see you as worthless. God doesn't see you as chasing after the wind. God doesn't see you in that place. You know what he sees? Jesus' perfection. He looks at you, and he sees his son, Jesus, who he loves and who he's pleased with. Jesus took what we deserved and he gave us what he deserved. Jesus knows that eternity is set in our heart. And so for our sake, because he loves us, he got treated like what our sin deserves. And so Jesus continues on in the story. And all of these people who wanted to force Jesus to be king, they found him the next day and they said, hey, Jesus, we're hungry again. Could you imagine that? Jesus just performed an incredible miracle. And rather than saying, Jesus, there's something different about you. How do I just follow you and love you for you? They treated Jesus like he was a cosmic lunch lady. How many of you guys have a good image of a lunch lady? Like I, oh, good for you. I imagine like Roz from Monsters, Inc. You guys remember Monsters, Inc.? You know, she's like, Mike Wazowski. She's just like slopping sloppy Joes on. Like that's what I imagine they're doing to Jesus. They're like, Jesus, just give us more food. Jesus, do what we want you to do. Jesus, show up in the way that we want you to show up. Did you catch that? They wanted to just keep going after Jesus for what he could do for them, not because they just wanted Jesus himself. And so Jesus looks at him, and he says this in verse 35. It says, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not hunger. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. Jesus is saying, I am the only one who can satisfy. Solomon tried finding it in money and in cars and, well, horses. He tried finding it in women. He tried finding it in all of the things. And Jesus says, no, no, no. It can only be found in me. I'm actually the only one that can satisfy. And then verse 66, it says, after this... Many of Jesus' disciples turned back. They no longer followed him because they wanted to keep doing their own thing. They wanted to keep chasing after the wind. Jesus told them a really hard thing. And then Jesus looked to his 12 disciples. And he says, do you guys want to go away as well? And Simon Peter, or Peter, he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal Right here, Peter got it. This is the moment that Peter realized. This is the moment where he says, Jesus, I've tried everything else. Jesus, I've read Ecclesiastes. I've pursued money. I've found it as vapor. I've pursued popularity. I've found it as mist. I've pursued pleasure and parties, and I've found it as a cloud. I've pursued all of it, and it is proven meaningless. It's empty, Jesus. Where else would I go? Those things didn't satisfy me. They didn't give me meaning and purpose. They left me empty. But you, Jesus, you fill the eternal void that is inside of me. You give me 
meaning and purpose. You accept me even when I'm at my worst. You love me even when I hated you. You created me and you know everything about me. You know how the world works and how to live in it. You are the relationship I have longed for. You have life. And right here, Peter got it. Where else would we go? Everything else is proven to be vapor except for Jesus. We run to Jesus. See, the reality is God has put eternity in our hearts. No wonder dating won't satisfy. Because the eternal void that's inside of you is too big. Of course, alcohol won't satisfy. It's because the eternal void inside of you is too big. And money won't satisfy because the eternal void inside of you is too big. And popularity and intelligence and fame and affirmations from other people and vegging out and playing video games and running around and avoiding pain. None of those things will satisfy because there is eternal void inside of your heart that is too big. And Solomon is saying that eternity is in our hearts. And only thing, the only thing that can satisfy that void inside your heart is God himself. Now I want to highlight, this is actually a huge compliment. This is a huge compliment to you because what Jesus is saying is that you are too worth it. He's saying that you're too valuable. He's saying that you're actually made with such dignity and such beauty and such value that you cannot be bought with a cheap substitute like money and alcohol and fame and popularity. None of those things are worth you because you are stamped with the identity of God. You are made in his image. And so he's looking at you and he says, you can't be bought with a knockoff brand God, only God. Only the eternal, powerful, beautiful, loving, awesome, intelligent God is good enough to satisfy you. And that's because he's saying you are that worth it. God loves you that much. He sees you as that high that you cannot be bought with any of those cheap things. And so there is a high compliment here. He is saying eternity is inside your heart, so don't settle. You know what happens when we go running to money, when we go running to popularity, and we go running to all of these other things, the affirmations of others, what we're telling ourselves and what we're telling everybody else is we don't think that we're actually worth that much. And God is saying, you're worth way too much. Don't settle for anything less than God. John 3.16. God so loved the world. Meaning God loved the world in this way. This is the way he gave. See, the cycle of the world under the sun is we see and we take. We see and we take. That's the cycle of sin and the cycle of us trying to find meaning and purpose. But the cycle of God is he sees you and he sees me in love and he gives. That's who God is. And guess is what he gives. He gives his only son that whoever believes in him, in Jesus, will not perish which is the wage, the cost of sin, which is death. We don't have to have that because we get to have everlasting life. That eternal thing that's inside of us, we get to actually step into it. God sees us. He sees you. He sees me in the broken cycle of life under the sun. 
He sees us curled up into our room with the python called sin. He sees us helpless and unpowerless underneath sin. He sees us dead in our sin and he loves us so much. He comes to our rescue. He says, you're worth it so much that I'm going to show you that you can only find meaning and purpose in me and me alone. Friends, you may be in here tonight. And this weekend, your eyes have been opened to the way that you have been pursuing meaning and purpose in everything else but God. You've been thinking that everything under the sun is where life is found. But this weekend, you've actually realized how meaningless it is, how hollow it is, how empty it is. And you realize this weekend, or maybe even right now, you realize you need Jesus. You realize that you need to get your meaning and your purpose from the one who created you. You want God. And maybe for the very first time, many of you in this room are recognizing that you don't want to live your life apart from God. You don't want to run around pursuing vapor. And you have this ache inside of you and you want God to make it right. You want God to make you right. And you realize, you recognize your sin. You realize how it has a control over you, how powerless you are to sin, how you can't beat it on your own. And you know that sin keeps sabotaging you and all you want is Jesus. Friends, the great news is that Jesus is not stingy. He is not selfish. He doesn't treat us as we deserve. Jesus is available to you. In fact, Scripture shows us that Jesus longs for us to say yes to him. He wants you to be free. He wants to be in a relationship with you. He wants you to get your meaning and your purpose in relationship with him. So I want to ask you tonight, very simply, Will you accept this free invitation from Jesus where he paid for the wages of our sin to save us into life? So I want to ask two different groups of people to respond tonight. The first group of of people will be the people who, this is the very first time that you're maybe hearing about Jesus and it's making sense. Maybe this is the first time you're like, I finally get it. I, I finally am ready to say I want Jesus. For the very first time, I'm going to say, Jesus, my life is yours. I'm done chasing after the wind. I'm done just running through the bushes. I'm done trying to make life with my own meaning. I want the Lord in my life, and I want to follow his ways no matter what. The second group of people that I want to ask to respond are people, you may have already made that decision. You may have already said, I I, I do follow Jesus, and I don't want to take away from that decision. Look, if you've said yes to Jesus, you are saved. Your eternity is heaven. Heaven is your home. But maybe you've been living your life like Solomon, pursuing everything but God. Maybe you've noticed that even though you've said Jesus in the past, you forgot him. And you've been living your life pursuing all of these other things, this wind, this vapor, and you're exhausted. And you want to take a stand today and say, I want to commit myself again to Jesus. I want to repent. I want to turn back to Jesus. So if you're in here, and that first category makes sense for you, and maybe even right now as I'm talking, you know your heart is beating pretty fast. You know God has been working in your heart over the last couple days and over this whole weekend. And even now, you know you want 
Jesus, but you have never before said yes to Jesus. You've never before said, Jesus, I'm going to start following you, and I'm going to let go of the ways of the world. You're tired of chasing meaning everywhere else. If that's you, for the very, very first time, I'm going to ask you to do something bold. See, everyone in this room, they love you. I love you. The red coats love you. The leaders love you. And I'm going to ask you to stand. And if you can't stand in a room where people love you, you won't be able to stand when you are out there with the pressures under the sun and they're all on you. So if that is you, if for the very first time you want to say, I want to follow Jesus, and this is, this is again, your very first time, would you be bold and would you stand up right now? Yeah, let's go. I love it. I love it. So good. So good. I want you to stay, I actually want you to stay standing. I promise I won't make you stand too long. Guys, this is huge. And I know that it's scary. But you just had a whole room applaud you. You have a whole room that is applauding you. And I always want to say, uh, Scripture tells us that not just a room of middle schoolers are applauding you. Heaven is applauding you. And as you still stand, I actually want to ask the people to join you. See, if you are the second group of people and you've accepted Jesus before, but tonight or this week you've realized that you have turned your back on him. You've been running and chasing after the wind. You're exhausted. And tonight you want to say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I want to turn back to you. Will you forgive me? I want to follow you again. I repent. And if that's you, where you want to say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I just want to turn back to you. Can you stand with your friends right now? Yeah, let's go, let's go. Hey, can we give everyone a round of applause? And I, I, want, you guys all, I want you guys all to stay standing, who is standing right now. And here's what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna pray. Now I just wanna say there is, there is not a magic formula, you know, to like get into heaven. It's not like stand on one foot, you know, say a secret password and spin around. There's no magic formula. You know how you get into heaven? It's Jesus. It's always Jesus. It's in relationship with Jesus. It's following Jesus. And he promises life right now. He promises meaning and purpose right now. And so I want to pray that that's what Jesus would do. And so uh, if you're standing, would you close your eyes? I'm going to pray out loud and you can just follow along in your head. Jesus, right now I recognize you changing my heart. I know that it's you, because in my own strength, I can't change my own heart. Lord, I know that I cannot be good enough on my own. I sin, and I sin against you. And so, Lord, right now, I'm standing because I know I need you. I know you love me. Jesus, I know you lived a perfect life that you died the death that I deserve and that you rose from the grave to give me life. So right now, Lord, I receive that free gift that I could never earn on my own. I give you my sin and I receive your righteousness. Jesus, my life is yours. I follow you. And whatever you say, I will do. Give me strength from here on out to trust you with my life.
Amen. Hey, let's all stand and let's worship.